in the Lord and the power of his might, arrayed in his armor and ready to fight the foe as a roaring lion draws near, waiting to pounce at the slightest fear. Have your shield of faith with your sword in your hand, ready to step out at first command. Feet shot prepared and loins cut about. Helmet to keep all wrong thinking out. Be strong, be strong in the Lord. Stand firm, stand firm in the Lord. Be strong, stand firm, be strong, stand firm in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might arrayed in his armor and ready to fight. Stand firm in the Lord, belt of truth round your waist, breastplate of righteousness in place, feet prepared from the gospel of peace, shield of faith, flaming arrows to seize, helmet of salvation, sword in your Is that all right there? It is, isn't it? Now, um, I'm talking this morning on quite a sort of chestnut, really. It's Jesus Feeds the 5,000. Um, so I don't know what it's at. Perhaps we'll read it through. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, and about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves and left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now this miracle, known as the feeding of the 5,000, is one of only two miracles, the other one being the resurrection, that actually appear in all four Gospels. For this reason, it's probably a very important one, and it's obviously one of the best known. And it shows Jesus as the supplier of human needs, and sets up the stage for Jesus giving the testimony of him being the bread of life. Before we got to start, I've got to make it clear that the 5,000 named in this passage only represent the men, because they seem to count only men then, and that in fact there obviously were lots more than just the 5,000. There were women and children involved. And there's all sorts of, if you start reading about, there's all sorts of speculation. Some people think it's as many as 20,000 people, but... Obviously, it was clearly far more than 5,000, so there were a lot of people there. And, and also, many of them must have travelled sort of quite long distances just to be there, and just for the opportunity of seeing Jesus and hearing him. Because you think of a lot of the villages around in the region, I mean, they're all quite small, so when you start looking at this number of people, it's, it's vast, really. Um, and... I've been trying to imagine what a crowd of even 10,000 people would be like. You know, a sort of very large Glastonbury, I would think, something like that. But whatever, it must have been extraordinary numbers for the time. Um, by this point, Jesus had already done many miracles or signs, as John referred to them in his Gospel as signs. In fact, we read of some of them in all the Gospels, but as John says at the end of his Gospel, that Jesus did many other things, too many to, put, to be put down. So, you know, we can be assured that there were lots and lots of things, and many instances where there were miracles when Jesus was around. He'd healed the sick, and he'd dealt with blindness and leprosy, paralysis, and he'd also raised from the dead. So it's far from surprising that he'd gathered a crowd. 
You can't imagine that there can be anything other than this man doing all these things. So people would have wanted to be with him and wanted to follow him. But actually miracles can be best understood if they were put in the proper context in the whole of Jesus' ministry. And the gospel view of the life and work of Jesus has to be put against the background of God's promises in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, miracles invariably always meant something. The Hebrews used a word, and I've no idea how it's pronounced, but it's, it's spelt D-E-B-A-R, D-B-A-R, I don't know, which has a double meaning. It, it's both a word that means said, but also action. So they were very closely linked. So what God said was often associated with what he did. So, for example, at the time of Exodus, the amazing deeds performed by Moses before Pharaoh were demonstrations of God's message. They became deeds, actual tangible signs of the truth of God's words. So when Jesus started his teaching ministry, he declared that the kingdom of God was at hand. His miracles and the actions were there to support this declaration. Jesus was doing miracles or signs of God's power and action. The main understanding would then have been that the kingdom had already arrived with the coming of Jesus and he was the centre of it. The miracles would have brought men and women to realise that the long-awaited new society had arrived and Jesus was there, banging the centre. Jesus' preaching and miracles, word said and action, were everything to his followers at the time. I was thinking, interestingly, Christians look at the crucifixion, and nowadays they look at crucifixion and Jesus' resurrection as being the keystones to their Christian faith. Because this was before then, so Jesus actually never ever mentioned when he was out with all the people and preaching, he never ever mentioned his forthcoming death. The only time he ever spoke about that was privately to his disciples. And they, of course, found it extremely hard to understand. But, you know, obviously then it would have been very difficult if he tried telling the multitude this. But, again, at the end, ultimately, God's word and action came together. So Jesus used his miracles in several ways. He used the early miracles, you know, like the water into wine, to reveal Jesus' own glory so that the disciples would believe him. He never used the miracles for his own gain, but often said that glory and praise was to be given to God and not himself. Before this miracle, Jesus had, with his disciples, got a boat to cross to the northern end of the Sea of Galilee to get away from everyone because, you know, they were just absolutely mobbed. And they went to a desolate place for some rest. This was just not to be. And the crowds followed them one way or another. I mean, they must have gone right round the lake. He went up to one of the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. And you can imagine them sitting down and it must have been quite a view of all these people that were arriving, thousands of them. And John mentions that the Passover feast of the Jews was near and that would also indicate that there would also have been more people around. 
It may be that by John saying that, he was drawing some parallels with Moses, who led the people out of Egypt after the Passover. Remember, we remember that God also used Moses to give manna or sustenance to his people. Maybe the reason was to show that Jesus was a new and perhaps better Moses. So Jesus looked at all these people and he felt compassion and love for them. And he turned to Philip and said, Where should we buy bread for all these hungry people so they can eat? But as we read, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. In Mark's Gospel, we read that the disciples said that the people should be sent away to surrounding countryside and villages to buy something for themselves to eat. If they'd done that, it would have been job done and problem solved. They would have gone and been fed. But no, this was not what Jesus was asking. He was actually testing Philip. Philip, of course, could have said, but Lord, I've seen you perform amazing miracles. Surely you could provide them with food, just as God provided manna in the wilderness. But no, he didn't. He knew that they did not have enough money, so he started trying to work out how many man hours it would take even to earn enough to, for everyone to, to have even just a small bite to eat. He didn't dis consider, he didn't consider at all Jesus' involvement or being one of the options. But Jesus did not then say, go out among the crowd and make a collection so we can see how much money we can get. There were no little supermarkets around in the locality, so adequate supply for these people was actually completely out of the question. So then we have Andrew, he then spoke up. There's a boy here who has a packed lunch and has offered it to us. Well, perhaps Andrew told Jesus because he felt that the generosity of this small boy should be acknowledged. But his lunch was really pitiful. Five barley loaves, which were doubtless quite small. They were probably flat, more like pancakes. And barley at any rate at the time was the food of the poor and used also to feed animals. And what about the two small fish? I was thinking about that. They weren't fat, I should imagine, sort of like fat fish that we have, but probably they were dried or pickled, maybe sardines or something. So Andrew apologised for this inadequate offering and said, what are these for so many people? Jesus didn't then say, I bet there is more food out there, go and gather it so we can sit down for it to a shared lunch. Jesus was not limited in any way at all by this meagre offering. The meeting of need for Jesus is never ever dependent on what is available on hand. It's only dependent on his blessing resting on the supply. So we're talking about inadequacy and we were talking about it earlier. He's not bothered about your inadequacy. He uses what you are and how you are. Jesus wanted the disciples not to see all these hungry people as a nuisance, but instead look at their, the needy through his eyes, his compassion, and his delight in meeting their needs. He felt compassion and love for all the people. 
So Jesus just got on with it. His reply to all this was to tell the disciples to make the people sit down on the grass. They would then be divided into groups because the men wouldn't have eaten with the women so they would have sh shifted off the men, one area, women, children. Um, and he, he took the meagre meal, the barley loaves, and in John's Gospel, it only says that Jesus gave thanks for them. But in the others, the other three, they say that he broke the loaves also. He gave them to the disciples for them to distribute among the people. Now I wonder if you've ever thought, we talk about it, but I wonder if you've ever thought what actually happened. How did the food multiply? This event with all those people was not like any modern festival or anything like that where and with Glastonbury again I mentioned it before there were no TV cameras no big screens for people to see what was happening so was it just that a very few that actually could see what was happening um, saw it so you know, was it only just a few people out of the, in relation to the number of people that actually saw the miracle? Or, which I think I like the idea best, or did it happen just as the food was being taken round and distributed? Here's some food, here's some food, here's some food. In which case, everyone would have seen the miracle happen before their eyes. So, you know, it would have been great because all those 20,000 or whatever people would have actually seen it. There was abundance and Jesus instructed that nothing was left over but collected up into 12 baskets. No waste. That's topical as well. We should learn from this to be frugal with what the Lord provides us with. He can provide us abundantly, but in this story he provides just enough, which resulted in one basket of leftovers for each of the 12 disciples to collect. There would have been crumbs on the ground, of course. So how did, did they go around and collect these 12 baskets? That's another thing we don't say, but it's quite a thought, really. It's obvious that many people did actually see the miracle, and they began, therefore, to say, surely this is the prophet who is come to, into the world. They thought only of a prophet who would be like Moses, through him, God provided food and water for the people in the desert and they expected the prophet to do no more than this. The full effects of this great miracle would therefore obviously be seen over time. Jesus' message to the Jews was announcing the fulfilment of many Old Testament prophecies in which God promised that he would return to his people to reign in the world. Many at the time misunderstood this and they thought there would be an imminent overthrow of the hated Roman rule, which they really thought would be awful and this is the man that's going to do it. They would be wanting Jesus to make Jesus king by force. They expected a world's version of kingship. But as we read, Jesus knew this and he rejected it as a temptation of the devil. So he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So what does this tell us? 
Jesus always loves and is always more concerned for the needy than actually many of us are. He doesn't just barely meet our physical and spiritual needs, but he abundantly supplies all that we want. But actually, he often supplies no more than he considers right. So you don't necessarily always get a complete abundance, as there wasn't here. Jesus, and this I think is a point that really came through earlier when you, uh, when you were praying and talking. He is not limited by however inadequate we are as individuals. We are all inadequate and he uses us all to meet the needs of people. So we don't need to think about hot and cold as we, as we were talking about. He doesn't mind. He knows what we are. He understands us as individuals. We've all got failings. He knows that, but he supplies. So following on in the Bible from this miracle led on to one of Jesus' most important messages, which we read on from verse 49. And this Jesus is speaking of himself. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. And so he did. So thank you, Jesus. Amen.